this is Tawny Newsom. You're listening to Improv Nerd with my man, Jimmy Curran. Jimmy, Jimmy Curran, Jimmy Curran's a nerd. Jimmy Curran's an improv nerd. Jimmy Curran's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy. Hey, everybody. Jimmy this is Jimmy Curran, and this is another episode Jimmy of Improv Nerd, Curran's sponsored by the good people at Hotel Lincoln. The next time you find yourself here in the city of Chicago and you're looking for a cool boutique hotel that's close to everything, right around the corner from Second City, it's across the street from the Lincoln Park Zoo, it's minutes away from Chicago's Loop and the the Magnificent Mile there. Uh, It's also improviser and pet friendly as well, and not many hotels can say that. Check out the official hotel of Improv Nerd, the Hotel Lincoln. And I'd quickly like to plug my award-winning classes, The Artist Low Comedy, here in Chicago. Now, too many improvisers talk themselves out of a scene. I've seen this by doing bits or trying to be funny. If only they realized that everything they needed to do a great scene is in them and their partner. They just need to learn when to shut up and how to listen. And that's what The Artist Low Comedy is all about. It's organically finding the relationship the scene, the environment, even the game in the first couple seconds of silence. So if you need a new point of view to complement what you're already doing, because what you're already doing is fine, then check out The Artist Low Comedy. I limit my classes to no more than 12 people so you get personal attention and plenty of stage time. I have an advanced class starting February 22nd and my fundamentals start February 24th. For more information, go to jimmycarain.com. Now on to the show. Uh, Our guest today is Tawny Newsome. Uh, Tony Newsom is a member of the Second City uh, main stage, where she is actually right now in rehearsal for their next review, and Mick Napier is uh, going to be directing that. Now, we talked to Tony about her music background. She comes from a music background, and she's a very accomplished singer. She's in a band. She's done music videos. And how she floats between both worlds, the, the comedy improv world and the music world. She also talked to us about putting a show up at Second City and how she got hired for the main stage. Now, the last couple of months, there's been a lot of talk about diversity and improvisation, and especially with women of color. And it really uh, started to heat up when Saturday Night Live took a lot of criticism for not having a black, uh, strong black woman uh, in their cast. And Tony Newsom is a strong black woman. Uh, and any time uh, last year that there was, like on the internet or in magazines, and they would mention uh, 10 people that should be hired by Saturday Night Live, her name was always on the list. Now, when we recorded this episode, which I don't even remember when we recorded it, but it was before the topic uh, hit, so it wasn't even in the national consciousness. And I'm really glad that people were so passionate about this topic and they were talking about because essentially this is race. It's a race topic, and race is very taboo for anybody to talk about. Comedians, I think, are a little more comfortable and improvisers, but there's st- I'm I'm a little comfortable talking about it now. So, um, but I'm just I'm 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 glad because you got to call it out. And I know for me, I can be very insular in comedy, and I can't I can only see my point of view. So it's really nice to see this brought up. Because I'm a white male, and I am blind to diversity. 
And the selfish side of me goes, you know, I'm glad I see this because now I can, you know, I can, there's another thing I can talk about on this podcast with my guests, the other questions that I can ask. And I don't think, you know, I know there's people out there. It's like, you know what? All that matters is it's funny. If they're funny, you know, you know, uh, diversity will, will find its way to the top. I'm sure there's varying opinions on it. And I don't even think it's about the results. It's about talking about it. You know, it's it's about bringing it to the table and saying this is what's going on, especially for comedians, because that's where our strength comes. You know, talking about stuff that's taboo about it. And improvisation and stand-up are some of the few places that you can safely still talk about uh, about these topics. So I'm sure we are not finished with discussing this, which that's not even important. It's important that it's out there and we're talking about it. Uh, enough about me. You don't need to hear me. I, I feel like I've been, I was too preachy anyways. Uh, uh, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I'm very, very self-conscious. But don't worry about me. I have therapy in an hour, and it'll all be taken care of. I think you're really going to love this episode. Tony Newsom is so talented, and she is so insightful, and she was just so much fun to interview and improvise with. Please enjoy what we call the Tony Newsom episode. He's a nerd. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's a nerd. He's a nerd. Oh, yeah. Great, thank you. Awesome. Uh, uh, yes. Rolling Stone also called me an accomplished guitarist, which means that that means no one from Rolling Stone actually has ever seen me play the guitar. <laughs> so, how do you feel about that press? Like when you when when someone singles you out and says this person should be on Saturday Night Live. Well, you know, even even false good press is good press, uh -huh. right? So I'm like, I I don't think that. SNL had, you know, I don't think they need me right now. So, um, why don't you think they need you? Well, because I think they have a really strong group of women, mm -hmm. and you know, some of whom are my friends, or you know, at least people I look up to or have um, gotten the opportunity to work with. And I, I don't know, I just think it's really interesting when people are like, this is who should be up there. And it's like, I don't know that any of us know what they need besides them, mm -hmm. you know, but it's very flattering. I'm always, uh, I always love name dropping on this podcast. If you listen, you know regularly. Okay. Who are your friends on Saturday Night Live? Um, AD Bryant uh -huh. is my dear buddy um, because we got to do the ETC show together, mm -hmm. became fast buds there. Um, and then, you know, I consider even though Cecily and Tim Robinson and I didn't do a show together, like, you know, we've been in the community together and understudied next to each other along the way. So I consider them like colleagues. Did you ever, did you like look at those guys and say, oh, I, those guys are going to go on to something? I, I kind of look at that with, with everybody that I respect though. You know, like there's part of me that's like, wow, that person is really, really talented and could be the next huge thing. Or who knows, because the universe is crazy and they could start writing and selling children's books and mm -hmm. be fine with that too. So it's like you never know, but you're also never surprised when good people get good things. Now you were an only child. Oh yes. Which I always still am. What do you mean you're still out? Yeah, I don't. I don't have any brothers. Okay, so there's. So our, our research is up to date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hands are good. Um, I always find it fascinating because I came from. Uh, I had two brothers and two sisters, so a fairly large family. Um, as a as an only child, how how was it? And you also said that you like. Because you were an only child, you like to go out to dinner alone, you like to go to events by yourself. Yeah. Can you explain this? 
Um, I think that uh, I think that living in a city, this is much less weird than because um, I think a lot of people who live in cities are comfortable dining alone or like going to the movies alone. But I, whenever I talk to my friends who still live back in the suburbs or live anywhere rural, it, it's a little bit odd for them to like drive to a restaurant and sit there and eat by themselves on a Friday. But I think just like always kind of being you know, self-sufficient or always having to be alone made it, like, not weird for me ever. So I'm always able to entertain myself, I guess. And then you also, as a kid, you were into music. And you sang mm -hmm. and you played piano, guitar, violin. And you also did acting. You were in Pippin yeah. and at the age of 12. And you did other theater. It, at that point in your life, because you were doing music, you were doing theater, theater what did you want to be? Like, if you go, can go back to, like, 12 years old. Yeah, I don't know. I always like I've always been this dabbler. Um, I'm always being accused of being kind of overextended and having like too many hands and feet in different pots. So if you asked me at twelve, I probably this is not a bit, but I think I wanted to be a large animal vet because um, <laughs> I grew up on like a ranch with horses, and so I think I wanted to like care for horses and cows. Um, and then I think I was just doing theater because it was like. Those were the harmless, fun kids who would talk to me <laughs> in school. You know? Now you said so. I'm going to move this table because I feel like we're like on a date or something. Okay. You know. Uh, uh, and I'd like to get to know you better. Okay. Uh, you. Uh, you also. Uh, I, I, why did I lose my train of thought? Because we got really weird about this table. Yeah, I was more focused on the table than I was on. Uh, I, I don't know why There's that's for me. There's a wedge between us. Yeah, but now we're closer, and I think I'm afraid okay. of the intimacy. You know? um, I know what I was going to ask you yeah. was you described yourself as an awkward child. You were heavier. Were you a fat kid? I wasn't a fat kid. I just went in, like, waves of, like, tall and lanky. Like, my mom's side of the family is all kind of, like, shorter and rounder, and my dad's side is, like, taller and, like, very athletic. And I was never athletic, so I think I was just always either, like, gangly or just pudge or you know just always something uncomfortable but so. you didn't feel comfortable I mean, even when you were at DePaul because that's where you started mm -hmm. theater school you felt awkward and, yeah. you, and you, you described it as a cult I described DePaul as a cult yes did I tell you that or did I say no it I, you heard like? it I heard it on poor choices podcast oh yeah. now you feel like like do you feel defensive about that no I feel like um I guess I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I mean cult in, like, the best way possible. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, if you were going to start the most supportive, amazing cult of all time and no one, like, dies at the end. <laughs> That's what it was like. Okay, if you had to describe uh, what I think Second City can be, I think all the improv theaters are cult-like. Don't sure. you think? Yeah, well, I've only worked at the one, so I agree with you there. Okay, so let's, let's do this. You are a professional okay. singer. You're a serious, you do serious acting a comedic actor and an improviser. Now, um, I would like you to rank them in terms of what you think you do best at. Who are you, my dad? <laughs> is that what your dad? Yeah. Did your dad say that? No, but you know what's funny is that I feel, my parents have always been so supportive of everything, but I feel like they are often like, so which do you like best? Do you want to do the music or do you want to do the acting? And I'm like, I don't know, whichever one is like just the most fun at, at, at right now, you know? So if you ask me to rank them, it would only be a ranking system that uh, is valid for like the next 10 minutes. Okay, great. I'll take it. Are you okay with that? Oh, yeah, yes. Will you say them again? Because I don't even yes, remember okay, what okay. they Yes, okay. Okay, so we're going to rank this. <laughs> okay. Ser uh, professional singer. Okay. Serious actor. Okay. Comedic actor. Okay. And improviser. Oh, okay. Okay, I got this. Um, I think 
I think something with actor always has to be first. So let's okay. say comedic actor. Okay. Because that seems like the most accessible. Second, I'm I'm gonna say singer, um, just because that's where my my heart kind of is right now. Then I guess serious actor, then improviser last. Okay. Um, now let me ask you this. Yeah. You say right now singer singing is where you're where it's at. How do you find time? I mean, if you're at Second City, you're doing the main stage show. You don't have much time for yourself. So how are you able to, exp you know, express yourself in singing? When you're doing that much you on know, the main stage, I, when once the main stage show is open, as it has been now since April 10th, you have plenty of time. And I feel like anyone who's like, I have eight shows a week, I don't have enough time. It's like, no, you make time for the things you really are passionate about and that you really care about. For some people, that's teaching. For some people, that's finding ways to do other improv shows. For me, it's like writing and working on music all day going, you know, working with other musicians, scheduling weird rehearsals during the day to practice things, and then at 7 o'clock running out the door so I can get to Second City. Because once the show's open, you just have to show up and put on a great show six nights a week. So I, I never feel pressed for time. I felt pressed for time during process because you're there from like 2 p.m. till 2 a.m. tearing your hair out because <laughs> every joke you write somehow uh, unlocks the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> so, so yeah, during that time, during that time, so let's, no time. Let's talk about the process because yeah. first of all, tell us how you got hired by Second City. Um, so Beth Kligerman, who's the director of talent. Um, and by the way, Beth, I, she makes some great baked goods. Does she? <laughs> yes, I remember. I lived I in the know. same building. Yes. I don't know this. Yeah, this is true. She made, uh, ask her about this. Okay. Uh, I was living in an apartment building where she was living and she made, like, I forget, one of the holidays, she made this chocolate chip banana bread, what? which was amazing. It was like warm when I got it uh, at my doorstep. So, All right. so Beth Kligerman, she's a, she's a producer? Is it, she's a director of talent, that's okay. her title. So right. yeah, she's amongst the, the camp of producers, uh -huh. um, but her main goal is to go out to shows and to go to showcases and um, scope new talent. Um, mm -hmm. So she and I met, I'd actually met Deanna Griffin-Irons, who also kind of has a function like that. She runs the... Um, outreach and diversity program. Mm -hmm. So I'd met Deanna in the past and I think I'd come in to audition like right when I got out of college, but I don't totally remember how that like panned out. But anyway, um, I was working on a, a reading of like a comedic show that my friend Lillianne Brown had written. Um, she's the artistic director of Bailiwick, Chicago. So anyway, Lillianne Brown wrote the show and we did like a staged reading of it and Beth and Deanna came because that's the sort of thing they do. They come to staged readings and workshops and things. And then Beth hired me. <laughs> and then from there, you don't do touring company. You do. Oh, I did. Yeah. Oh, you did. Mm -hmm. I did the touring company for almost a year. Uh, but Beth hired me first to do uh, like a theatrical, one of those out of town, mm -hmm. sit down for four weeks. So you didn't have to audition? No, because it was like largely um, scripted. So I think she just was kind of like picking people that would work together in certain casts. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had a couple meetings and we had kind of interviewee type meetings. Mm -hmm. So you're coming from an acting background, yeah. working with scripts. Now they throw you into the ETC to do, uh, to create your own show. Yeah. With other people in the cast. How was that experience for you? Well, as I said, you know, I had about nine or ten months of touring to kind of like ease me more mm -hmm. into Second City's way of doing things. So that was... It, it was a quicker transition than I would have liked, but um, fortunately my touring company was such fantastic people. I got to tour with like Tim Ryder and Eileen Monteleone, um, Daniel Strauss, uh, 
why am I blanking on everybody? Mike Kaczynski, who's also on ATC right now. So I had this really supportive group of uh, vets, you know, like people who'd been doing this type of work forever. So I think by the time I got to ETC, it was like, okay, like we're, we're still moving along here. There's still a learning curve, but. Mm-hmm. What did you see the difference? Because I, I find this very fascinating. Yeah. What do you see the difference between an improviser and an actor? When you're in the process, um, from my point of view, yeah. like I don't know if I can necessarily diagnose that. I think that, um, well, I think in a way, everybody has to be an actor. Um, I think their skill sets. So I think, especially if you work at Second City, because we do so much scripted sketch, that everyone has to be an actor, and improv is part of that if that makes sense like I don't think you can necessarily claim to be an improviser without also saying you're an actor maybe some people do but I think it would be really hard to think of yourself as only someone who can jump up and say things that are see because when when I was starting out this is back in the 80s you know we were like uh, uh, we were improvisers that were frustrated actors so we all would all so we started in improv but we 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 knew that we needed to become better actors so we would throw ourselves into acting classes and uh, so today I don't think that's the the, the case you know so um, can you tell improvisers what it what what does acting training help them? Because I think today improvisers don't think of it as, as acting. They think of it as improvising, and it's really the same thing. Yeah, and, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to see what someone who comes from a purely, like, improv-based background would say, because it would be an interesting debate. But I guess what I would say is that acting is um, only going to help you in terms of clarifying your wants and needs, uh, sticking to your character, just real, like, objective-based character work where you're like, there is a want, I need to go for it, here are my different tactics I use to get there. These are all the the, the basics of, um, you know, any type of table work or acting training that also translate to improv, so... Now, do you use that when you improvise? Are you thinking, what's my want? What do I want from this character? When I'm not not often enough, but when I find myself struggling, I often go, "Oh, it's because I didn't really clarify what this person wants at all." Like if I find myself floundering and I don't know where the scene is going. And when in a scene do you start to discover the want? Do you go out there and you have a want, or or is it something that's discovered? Well, I always try to listen first, so I try to go out and listen to what's going on around me, and then try to, you know, you're kind of doing double duty at once. You're trying to uh, clarify what you want for yourself, but also trying to identify what everyone else is kind of doing. Mm-hmm. And when you start out, when you do a scene, do you, what do you usually, do you come out with a character or do you, an emotion? What do you usually? It depends. Um, I really love this group of idiots we have on the main stage now. <laughs> um, they're all just such different types of comedic brains that uh, depending on who I step out there with, you know, sometimes, yeah, I will go out with, like, a really strong character idea because I know I'll feel comfortable if I have kind of, like, a strong point of view. Um, but sometimes I'm just so excited to see what somebody else is offering. So, yeah. Um, and now you've been, you've, you've been on the main stage for a while now, and you're improvising six nights a week. Yeah. Uh, what have you learned from doing that? Um, hmm. I guess I've learned that every time you have a great idea does not mean you have to go out every time you have a great idea. (laughs) You know, like, every time you think, oh, it might be cool if I did this, 
you should probably only do it half the time because if everyone went out every time they had a great idea, it would be a cluster. So, Do you feel like you sit on ideas out there? No, but I do feel like a long time, I spent a long time improvising um, when I was really, really green, being like, oh, I can never think of anything as funny as that guy. So the second I do come up with something, I better get out there. And that's like a dangerous way to think because then once you gain more confidence, you're still going like, oh, the second I think of something, I better get out there. And I think that's what leads to, like, dogpiling. Mm -hmm. So I have to remind myself, like, you are a wellspring of ideas. You will always be fine. You are always funny. You deserve to be here. I'm, like, talking myself off a cliff every time I step out there just so I don't jump in the middle of everyone else's scene. Do you, uh, those affirmations, do you you use those in your life, too? Yeah. And where did you pick that up from? Uh, I don't know. Being probably being kind of nuts and trying to get over it now when you say nuts well i i I see this beautiful woman sitting here very calm very confident you're welcome and and so what because i love the nuts i love the crazy side of performers because we're all nuts you know um what what makes you nuts i think i am so um i can get so tunnel vision and i can get so like perfectionist which is a bizarre way to be if you're going to do any kind of improv work. Like, I, I can be a little controlling. And so it's actually been really, like, therapeutic and freeing to do this type of work because you just, you can't, you can't control everyone around you. You can't even really control what you're going to do. So I think um, just, like, you know, maturing a little bit as an actor and, like, being more secure, I think, has... Now you know when you were describing your life, it's like oh, I have time for music, and then yeah. I do a sh- I do a show at night. Sometimes you're doing two shows at night, and mm-hmm. an improv that you don't get home till two or three in the morning. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Are you like a real overachiever kind of person, like yes. a Type A? Yeah, I am. I'm a Type A, but with um, complete and utter disdain for most types of authority. So I'm like a rebellious bratty Type A, if that makes sense. And so, how, how has that shown up in your life? Like, give us an example. Well, I think it means that I have to always work for myself. So I've never done well at any sort of job. <laughs> like, well, so how does it feel to be at Second City, which is a job? Well, but see, I don't know. I rationalize it like, well, I'm in this ensemble. We're all peers. Like, we all show up and we do this thing together. And I have chosen to be here as much as they've asked me to be here. Like, it feels like a mutual, like buddies you know but when I worked at like caribou coffee or something I was like this is dumb I don't want to show up at 4 a.m. I don't want to have to wear black pants why can't I wear gray (laughs) pants like you know the stuff that really matters (laughs) so yeah do you look at Second City like like some people I I know how I held Second City was like I want to get there and you know this is going to be my life do you look at it more like okay this is just another acting gig and I'm just doing another show. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more special than just another gig because it's such an institution and it's something I never thought I'd be doing. Like, it's such a Chicago like, institution. You never thought you would be doing Second City? No, I don't believe that most, you know, finger quotes, like straight actors She's are... She's just using one hand just finger Just one hand because I have a bottle of water what? in the other. Um, I don't think we're groomed to think that we can be there. Not not to say that anyone's ever discouraging, but I think it just seems like a it seems like apples and oranges. It seems like comedy and improv and sketch people kind of grow up doing one thing and when you come up through DePaul or whatever you're doing more like plays. You so know? you had no when you graduated because you you mm-hmm. had to be exposed to improv at DePaul, right? Mm-hmm. 
but you had no idea of like, okay, I'm gonna, like, Zero. what did you think of Second City when you were at DePaul? I was like, wow, how do they do that? I could never do that. Apparently, I asked to talk like that. Back did you? Well, I, I tell you, your speech is really improved because it, yeah. I mean, I don't pick up an accent at all today. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so we're gonna improvise now. Okay. We're gonna do. Uh, we'll, we'll do one scene. Uh, and how do you usually like to start? I mean, what's your what's your favorite thing to, to start out with? You mean like suggestion wise? A suggestion, or? or what kind of scene do you like to do? Or mm -hmm. I like to get a suggestion of like something broad, like a location. Okay, so you, we get a location, like and a then word. where do you we, okay? And then where do you like to go with that? I don't know. Uh, the most fun place we can. Okay. Just like the funnest, whatever's the funnest. Okay, so can can you give us a location? Caribou coffee. Okay, so we have caribou coffee. Now, because we, we love to hear the process, you know, okay. uh, of the people that are listening to this podcast. Um, so when you hear caribou coffee and you're, you're thinking, what's the, the most fun thing to do in a caribou coffee, what comes up for you? Quit. <laughs> Quitting caribou coffee? Yeah, not working there. <laughs> okay, great. So. Okay, great. There we go. If we can take the lights down, we're going to do uh, caribou coffee. <laughs> So you can't really deal with this today? No, I can't. So Black pants, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, it's uh, in the manual, it's gray pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, manual. I got one of those, I think. Yeah, could you look at me uh, when I talk to you, please? <laughs> you know, I'm having trouble making eye contact on account of the way I was raised, so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not, my, oh, there we go. There's a look there, Candace. Wasn't that too hard, was it? It just took, a, it just took a lot of courage, sir. Yeah, well, good for you. Um, I've got uh, got some uh, some reports on my desk. Your shift has been off twenty five percent. Twenty five percent off of a shift. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how I did that, man. Okay, I know what sarcasm is. Okay, Candace. All right, and you know why it is? Hmm. Are, are you a slacker in your whole life? I don't know. I just. I just always dreamed of being something bigger than a barista. Like a manager? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I've always dreamed of being a manager. Well, I'll tell you something, Candace. Yeah. You're not going to get there with your attitude. Okay. And that's the complaints we've been getting. All right? Who complained? All right. Who complained? Was it triple soy latte guy? Well, first of all, his name jerk. is Phil. Okay, he's been coming into this store now for four years, and you call him Triple Latte Guy. Oh, yeah, because he orders the same thing every day, okay, and well, he expects me to remember it. If you it. look in the manual, <laughs> and I do remember it, but I'm like, you're dumb. So, well, uh, Candice, we don't say dumb, okay, <laughs> to our customers. I could have said something worse, but I didn't. Look, I'm really sorry. Okay, we don't say fuck either, okay? This is terrible <laughs> coffee. Whoa. Okay? Like what do you think you are, at home or something? I don't think I'm at home. <laughs> I don't think I'm at home at all. If I was at home, there'd be several plants that desperately need watering. I don't need to know about your personal life, okay? Okay. Okay? Rule number four in the manual is we leave our personal life outside that door, okay? 
I'm on a lot of meds. You don't hear me talking about that. Okay? I'm on a second marriage. I'm not going to come here and say, that, hey, my first wife cheated on me, and that's why I'm in a bad mood today. Okay? So we keep our personal life away. Okay? Hey, do you, do you just want, like, a salted caramel? You want to sit down and talk for a second? You seem, like, really wound up. I am wound up. Okay? Maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should switch to decaf. Candace, look, I don't know if this is working out here. Wait a minute. Wait, you're not, you're not telling me to. I'm not saying anything. I want you to figure it out. You, you know I'm only rebelling because I want more responsibilities. Well, that's not how you do it, okay? You do a good job and then I say, hey, maybe I'll let her close on Tuesdays. Tuesday's Maria's night. Yeah. <laughs> You'd let me close instead of Maria? She yeah, was well, perfect. Yeah, well, if, if you would do things like how it's said in the manual. But I was just trying to put my own stamp on this crazy This is world. a company, okay? <laughs> we are cogs in the machine. Yeah, but, okay, brief tangent. You know um, how Cindy Crawford, <laughs> Cindy Crawford got her start because she was a model and she was like fine and everything, but her agency was like, you know what? You're just not really gonna be that great. And so she was like, well, I'm gonna show up on time and I'm gonna show up so early that they're gonna like love me even more. So she even started showing up to other people's shoots and when the other models would be late because they were like all on cocaine and because it was <laughs> the 80s and because they probably couldn't get their, um, their Volkswagen Rabbit to start in the morning, she was there. And so Cindy Crawford would be on set and she'd be like, this other chick's gone, but I'm here, and even though I'm not as good, and I've got this quirky birthmark, why don't you use me, or beauty mark, rather? And then the people were like, okay, and they started hiring her, and then she became the face of the 90s. Um, <laughs> I guess what I just realized is that I need to do things more by the book. I think I just, I think I just taught myself that lesson. So if you were me... <laughs> yeah. If you were me... I'd be the happiest. <laughs> if you were me, Candace, and you were getting complaints, and someone's shift was down 25%, yeah, that's the worst. and she doesn't show up on time, what would you do? I'd look for Cindy Crawford. <laughs> I'd, hire the, I'd hire the barista equivalent of Cindy Crawford instead of me. And that just breaks my heart, because this is the greatest place on earth, I think. You're making this very difficult for me, Candace. I'm sorry, I just, you know when you love something so much you just want to break it? No. It's like eggs. We don't serve eggs here. We could. I, look, I don't need your suggestions, okay? Okay. You're beyond being on thin ice. What, is it just water now? <laughs> Candace, I can't fire you, okay? I can't fire you. I was joking about my dad being in the mafia. You can fire me. Your father and I, we're, we're good friends. I mean, we golf together. Oh, really? Yeah. The only reason I hired you is because of him. You didn't even fill out an application all the way. Nope. <laughs> and on the bottom, you said flip to the other side, and there was nothing on the other side. It was like a magic trick. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I'm doing this as a favor. You got to help me out, Candace. Okay. I can't go 
and play golf with your father next weekend and say, I fired you. Okay. So you gotta help me out here. Gray pants. <laughs> you need gray pants and you need me to not refer to the customers by their drink order and or by uncomfortable demographics. That would be a start, Candace. That would be a start. Okay. I can do that. Okay. And how long would you like to do that for? Um, as long as I can. Well, I mean, I, I, that's an, an infinite. I mean, we don't know how long Caribou is going to be around. <laughs> so, how long would you like to do it for? Um, just until I can like save up enough money to open my own coffee shop. Okay, that's very ambitious of you, and I think that's a great, great goal. I'm too big. Could, can we break that goal down to something a little smaller? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd like to do it for as long as it takes um, until. Th they get rid of all the caribous and everything's just a subsidiary of Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 think this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did uh, I go too small now? Um, you went somewhere I, I can't even explain. Yeah, it was a lateral <laughs> move. I do that. If it was a lateral move, it was very. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Um, let's say you had a hundred dollars. Do you want a um, a Madeline? Um, a Madeline. A Madeline. A little, little cookie. Do you want one? I bought them. I didn't steal them. I bought well, them. I need to see a receipt. I have it. It's right here. I bought it. I just... I, my, I am hungry. Okay. Uh, this is for... Uh, this is for Madeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know that you're not supposed to eat during your shift. That's why I offered it to you. <laughs> Do you know I could get in trouble with the health department? Well... It's, it's gone now already. I know, I understand so. that, but I saw it and... Do, do you want to get yourself in trouble? Because you're the only one who saw it. I'm confused about why you would turn yourself in. I'm not planning to turn myself in, but you know what? Yeah. You see, if I called the health department, they would probably fire me. So you should not call them. <laughs> and then they would say, who ate the cookie on back here. And you'd be like, our next manager. Candace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Candace. Yeah. I, I could lose my job, okay, from what you just did. Do you want to start a, a coffee shop together? Candace, <laughs> I don't want to start a coffee shop together. All right, I know I'm, I know I'm messing this up for yeah, you. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I know I need to change. Yeah. Maybe change jobs. I'm throwing that out there. The very least pants. It's, so it's your decision. If you want to change your career path. Do you want me to quit so you don't have to fire me? Candace, that is a great idea. <laughs> okay. Okay, then I then I quit. Yeah, this place sucks. This place is the dumbest, and I don't even care about your equal opportunity employment. I don't care that you give health benefits to same-sex couples, which makes you guys actually a really cool corporation. Um, I definitely don't care that you use fair trade certified coffee and that you have really great programs in um, Colombia to take care of the farmers. I think that's all lame and I hate this whole, everything it stands for. So. Well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Uh, we've, we've had a great time with you. It's, it's actually a surprise that you're doing this today. Yeah. If you could give me your apron. Take it. There Here. You, go. you could have every apron in the world. 
I'm taking one more Madeline, <laughs> and I'm out because I never wanted any of this. I never wanted to work here or manage this place. <laughs> I never wanted to just stand in the window, just a hot cup of coffee in one hand, warm scone in the other, <laughs> peering over a med student's shoulder as I say, we're gonna be closing up soon, but I'll let you stick around while I sweep. <laughs> no, this wasn't a dream of mine at all, so don't worry about me, I've got plenty of plans. There's a FedEx office right in this strip mall. <laughs> that will hire me in a second. And if you need a reference, feel free to use my name. That doesn't make any sense. I, I just want to make you feel better and make it clear that it's your decision to quit and I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> We're clear on that. We are. You will never see me in here again. Unless for some reason I still have my carry coffee cart that has more money on it and I need to use it. <laughs> they don't take it at the one at the airport, so. You know that you won't get a discount. It's... Yeah. I guess. There's not a lot I can count on anymore. I guess not. Well, play all 18 holes. Think of me next time. You know, you really inspired me because I, my want was like, I want her to quit and I don't want to fire her. Did you pick that up at all? Oh, uh, I guess towards the end, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I, um, yeah, it was interesting because I was like, I, I, my want is to, uh, to, to really like work here and like this bizarre way of going about trying to like rise the ranks. Of and do you think that when people have different wants, like I wanted you to quit and... Mm -hmm. I didn't want to fire you, and you wanted to work here, and you made it a page. How do those work? How do you think those those work? Because they're they're very polar opposites. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, I, I don't know. Like, I just kept, you know, I just kept trying to like say yes to whatever you know you were doing. So as it became apparent what you wanted me to do, it was like, well, this character ultimately wants to please you because mm -hmm. she wants to work there. So if I quitting that's what pleases you I don't know it's kind of like convoluted but is mm -hmm. an actor like as an improviser we're trained to I mean I, I am so trained to hear the laughs oh as sure. an actor I always found because I've taught it to Paul with the actors and it's like they don't care I mean no. they don't their wiring is different is that true with you yes um, although it's hard the laughs are addictive you know and they're comforting and it's instant uh, it's instant it's an instant barometer for how well you're doing. That gets double finger quotes. Um, because it's not always true. You know, we laugh for weird reasons and we don't laugh for other weird reasons. That doesn't mean we're not enjoying ourselves or that the scene isn't good. So it can be dangerous to rely on them so much. But uh, I definitely don't think I listen for them as much maybe as if I had a different background. Like will you make different choices more of an acting? Like, oh, I'll go more emotional here or I'll go... Yeah, because I think I know that, because I'm never like a jokes per minute hit writer, you know, I, I'm never like a joke joke person, so I'm like the only way that this is going to work for any of us is if I 
do something else. And so that something else usually has to be like make acting choices. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay, we're going to take some questions about what we did or about your life or whatever. Cool. So let's, uh, if, uh, uh, let's start with a question for, for Tawny. Yes. Yeah, right here. Yeah, um, from one only child to another. Uh -huh. um, growing up, having that sense of uh, going into acting or improv, whatever, was there a sense of like, I, I want to do this to, you know, socialize more or interact with people more or, or like find a group? Because, I mean, I grew up with people who everyone had brothers and sisters and they all yeah. got along with it and it made me sick. So I, <laughs> I just, yeah. I always felt like going into acting or improv would be like, I find my group, I find my clique, I, you know, and I just didn't know if you identified with that at all. I absolutely do. And I may not have known that, you know, when I was seeking it out at first, but I definitely think that we're always looking for ensemble and community and family. We're looking to make little families. That's why I say you know, Second City and DePaul are both some of the most lovely cults I've been had <laughs> the pleasure of, you know, being a part of. Um, so yeah, I think we are, because as an actor, even if you do come from a giant family, you're just such a lonely little nomad. You know, you do one show here with a group of people, you do another show there. There's nothing like keeping you really with anyone. So. Which I think is interesting about you, because you, if, if you look on your you know your how your music it's like you can't define what you do because you do you know you'll do a little folk you'll do disco you'll do and then is she an actor is she an improviser is she a serious actor what is it about you that it's hard to pin down from your life do you think um I think just that I've always been restless and I've always tried like, you know, six months of karate and then, you know, 12 weeks of violin and, you know, so my parents were always like wonderfully supportive and just like, okay, you're doing that thing now. And, and occasionally telling me like, you're not really playing that piano so much anymore. Let's try something else. So I, I think it stems from that. And now, selfishly, it stems from the reason I keep doing it is because it works. And whereas in my early career, I had agents and you know, people, my agents were lovely, but I had people tell me like, you know, you kind of need to focus up or figure out what your deal is going to be. Because if you remain scattered like this, people won't know how to categorize you. Well, do you ever think to myself, well, if I just focused on music, I'd be a rock star right now. If I ever focused just on uh, comedy acting, I'd be doing a sitcom right now. Do you ever think that? Yeah, and so I do go through phases of like, okay, th this is something that's working for me right now, so I do need to focus in and work on this right now. But I can just never... I can never be one, I can never have one master, you know? I'm always like, just too easily distracted. I don't know. Do you have uh, ADD or do you get bored easily? No, I'm just like, uh, uh, I'm just a perfectionist. I'm just like a hyper overachiever, like you said before. I wanna do and consume everything until it proves to me that I'm not good at it. <laughs> now, now, I love this perfectionist thing because I'm a perfectionist too. Yeah. And I find that in a lot of ways it gets in my way. People yeah. think, I always thought it was an asset. I'm a perfectionist. How does it get in your way as an actor and an improviser and as a musician? Um, well, you know, especially with my career at Second City being kind of so, still being so green there, I, I have to remember to learn. Um, I have to remember that I don't know how to do everything already. So that, it can get in my way there. Um, as a musician, I... I don't think I don't struggle with it as much as a musician because um, you have more confidence in the music than you do in the improv part. And I, yeah, I do. And I also feel like um, I surround myself with other musicians who are like-minded, and we just want to create cool things. And so 
by trusting each other. Like you don't have to be perfect um, as long as you surround yourself with good people. I sing with this awesome guy named John Langford who I've like learned everything from. Um, and he has been a singer-songwriter for the last 30 years. And he always says, I remember the first time I got off stage with him, I was like, I just kind of like sang random parts because we never like rehearse. And I would just like, he'd send me MP3s and I'd just make shit up. So I got off stage and I was like, was that okay what I did in that one song? And just tell me if you don't like something, I'll change it. And he just looks at me, he's got this amazing Welsh accent and he goes, darling, I don't have people on stage with me who would ever do anything I don't like. <laughs> and I was like, cool, man. Like, freedom to just do whatever just by virtue of him having allowed me to be there. So that's kind of how I try to operate. So ideally, what would you like to do in your career at this point? Because it seems like to me, if I asked this question six months from now, I'd get a totally different answer. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so right now, uh -huh. you're doing the main stage show, you're doing your yes. music. If ideally you could have, Tawny could, could put whatever career she wanted, if, the biggest vision you wanted for yourself, what would it be right now? Um, I guess I, I, I even have trouble with this. Isn't that I so think silly? you have it in you, but you don't want to say it because you feel embarrassed. Say it. Or I, I wonder if I don't want to say it because like if you, if you admit to wanting something, then when you don't get it, you have to be a little like sad about that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or do you admit it? For me, it's like I admit it and it's like, who's he to ask for a sitcom? Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. So, yeah, I guess I would want, like, I, I'd love to be on TV. I'd love to have a show of some kind. I don't even know what that would be. But I'd love to have a show that I could shoot half the year. And then I'd love to have a really kick-ass band that I get to tour with for the other half of the year. And then go on a weird backpacking trip through Brazil. <laughs> That's the thing that people are going to be like, oh, she could get that with no problem. You know, like, you know, but the other stuff. Um, the backpacking trip, yeah. Can we talk about the SNL stuff? Would sure. you want that? Uh, of course, yeah. That's a, I mean, that's an amazing job. Have they come to you? I, I flew out there last year, yeah. And how'd that go? It went great. It was one of the most fun experiences of my life. And I, I hope I'm not so unique from other... I hope other people have had this experience that... It was such a shock to even be there, like just such a like, I can't believe you guys want to see me, that I was immediately freed of any like, oh, I got to make this, like the perfectionist in me almost didn't enter that situation because I literally was like, this is not about me trying to be what they need. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a fruit vendor and I only have this much fruit right now. Like this is what I've showed up with at this point in my life. I have bananas, I have mangoes, whatever. And they're gonna look at me, and as long as I've like showed up on time and you know presented the fruit appropriately, they're gonna be like, yeah, we need mangoes, but we don't really need bananas. Okay, we're gonna talk to somebody who has exactly what we need. How did you think objectively you did? I thought I did great. I thought for the because um, like, you go in there and just describe it's, it's yeah. very sterile, right? It's actually very warm. I okay. think they're very warm. There's you go in like you get your hair and makeup done. You know, so there's like six women. I went in there with Cecily Strong and Edie Bryant and um, a couple other people from Chicago and LA. So there are like six women in a room. Everyone just like wide eyed and stressed. And then these fabulous like makeup artists doing your hair and telling you you're gonna be fine. I thought it was such a warm environment. And then they bring you out, mm -hmm. and then is Lauren Michaels in in a in a dark room? Yeah. So it's like you're on the stage. We were actually on the like. Jimmy Fallon stage when we mm -hmm. did it because they were doing something on 8H but like you're there and you know there's people kind of sitting up in the shadows and 
you do your five minutes and people chuckle. The camera guy kind of chuckles a couple times. You're not getting like giant laughs because it's just not that type of deal. But then all the producers are just like, thank you so much for coming. And you're like, awesome. And then you go drink a ton and you get on a plane and go home. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, top, like definitely top five experiences of my life just getting to go out there. So, Tony Newsom, thank you so much (laughs) for being our guest. And there you have it. Believe it or not, I can't. There's another episode of Improv Nerd in the can. I don't even know what number it is because, you know, I am so bad with numbers. Every time I get the numbers, I screw them up. I want to thank our guests from the Second City Main Stage here in Chicago, the beautiful, talented Tawny Newsom. Thank you, Tawny. And as always, our home base, the people that make us feel like rock stars, uh, that is Stage 773 here in Chicago. And my producer, Ben Caprero. Without him, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. Uh, I know because you guys are smart, much, much smarter than I am. And you figured out that we're on feralaudio.com. And feralaudio.com is a podcast collective. Uh, and we aren't on there alone because it's a collective. A collective is like a cornucopia. It's like a buffet of people. People like Chelsea Peretti, you might have heard of her. Or uh, Todd Berry, you might have heard of him. Or Dan Harmon, ever heard of a show called Community? Well, they have podcasts, and that's at feralaudio.com. If you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, in my award-winning classes, The Artist Low Comedy, and my Improv Nerd blog, which will give you tips and stories and anecdotes to make you a better improviser, long form, short form, whatever form you're doing, it will help you. Go to jimmycorain.com. Also, like us. Like us on Facebook. That's Improv Nerd. Please, please. It helps with my low self-esteem. Also, I want to thank our sponsor, Hotel Lincoln. Uh, If you're ever in Chicago and you're looking for a hotel, Hotel Lincoln. And you, the people that listen to this podcast, without it, I'm nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I mean that. So thanks for listening and all your wonderful emails because it makes me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island. Yeah. And he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck.